everyone, and welcome back to the Extras. My name is Jack. And I'm Raj. Raj. Great to be here. Yeah. I haven't been here for a while. It has been a while, hasn't it? We've had yeah. a, a wonderful series going on in, in the Book of Romans this past term with Rod and Sam preaching to us on Sundays and, and on the Extras. But today's a little bit of a special one-off because we had Baptism Sunday uh, last Sunday. Raj, you were there. Opening up uh, Mark 2, uh, tell us a little bit, just a snippet, yeah, what did we look at in the Bible? Uh, what did we get to have? Yeah, and so, it was a, holy it, day. it was a brilliant day, mm. Mark 2, um, I chose that just for the occasion of Baptism Sunday. Mm. We, we wanted it to be a day where, uh, particularly for focusing on, you know, um, the gospel, um, we don't know who was coming along for those occasions and so on, and so we wanted to make it as accessible and clear about the gospel. And so Mark 2 is just one of these passages where <clears throat> I I really, you know, I talked about, um, like I was talking to some people this morning, but just really found it quite helpful. Hmm. That is, often it's the case that the issues you think are issues are not the issues, and other issues are. And I tried <laughs> to tackle that in different ways. I talked about going to a doctor with... Um, one of my kids years ago, I should just say, a few people, number of people asked me, um, it's all good, it was a relatively, on the scale of things, it was a relatively minor thing, it was a long time ago, no long-term issues, surgery went well, but my point was to say, I took him to the doctor about a sniffle, and ended up, the doctor helping me realise mm. there was something more significant going on. And that's what's happening in Mark 2. Yeah, the presenting issue and the deeper issue. Yeah, yeah. the presenting issue, the paralysed man, he can't walk, and for Jesus, his priority, and there's a question about this actually, his priority is the deeper issue, um, that is, he needs his sins forgiven. Yeah, and we will come to that and come to some of the questions in a moment. Before we get to that, I thought it might be helpful for us to have a chat about just, Raj, where you've been and what's been going on. Uh, we've had a, a pretty amazing and turbulent couple of weeks for you. First, you were away at General Synod uh, up in Queensland, you were... Then off sick with COVID, so it's been a, a wild ride. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, wild's a good word, especially <laughs> when it comes to COVID. <laughs> yeah, it hit yeah. some people mildly. It, that was not my experience. Um, um, but you know, look, here I am. I, I'm the recovery is going quite well. Mm. Um, yeah, but, we're glad you're back. Glad you're thankful that you are feeling well. Um, but I'd love to chat a little bit about general sin. Yeah. We've had a couple of people who've put in connect cards and that kind of thing over the past couple of weeks. Uh, Many of us may have heard headlines in the, the national media about what's been going on at the, the General Synod of the Anglican Church of Australia, yeah. and lots of things coming out of that. Uh, some of us might feel strongly about it, some of us just might be a little confused and wondering what's yeah. going on and what does it mean. Yeah. yeah, would you be happy to give us a bit of a report back on what sure, it was like? Sure, sure. Um, and look, you just prod me here, Jack, into mm. what's helpful. Um, I, I think the headlines would have come up. You know, the media, of course, reports sensationalist things and things that aren't sensationalist and tries to turn into sensationalists. And I get that, you know. Mm. And so the headline thing that they grabbed onto, which was entirely correct, it was a huge, huge moment. Um, um, many listeners of a podcast would just be aware in recent times uh, across the Anglican Church, not just Australia, but the world, um, numbers of congregations, dioceses, um, um, and so on, have been heading down a what's called a liberal track. Mm. What that means is they're influenced by the world and, and in a sense, the world provides the grid to, through which people read the Bible. Right. And um, that comes up in a whole bunch of ways. The priorities of the world become our priorities. Mm. And, you know, General Synod, you know, 
being the national church, there were lots of people in that category that I interacted with. Yeah, right. I actually found it really helpful, you know, because in every case, pretty much, in every case, um, people are genuine and sincere and they genuinely believe what they believe. Mm. Um, and, and the basic kind of framework that gets you there is the framework of love. The Bible's all about love. Yeah. Jesus is all about love. And therefore, love means... Um, and then where you end up with that is really being the agenda set by the world. Mm. Um, so the, a particular issue, you know, these days, of course, is the issue of same-sex marriage. Yeah. Um, and that, in a sense, it's, it's, it's a far deeper thing than just that, but that's, that's what's called a touchstone issue. Um, just because the Bible talks about it so much... Mm. And, um, you know, now I, I just want to be clear that it's talking about, we're talking about same-sex marriage, we're not talking about same-sex attraction, that's a different thing, and I know people in that category who have had that and continue to have that struggle. Mm. Um, and, and, of course, the Bible, going right back to Genesis, talks about God creating male and female as the basic marriage unit. And, and so what's... Um, what happened at General Synod was, just in this particular area, uh, there's a process by which three months in advance a statement circulated. So a statement was circulated from a number of people um, and uh, this one came through the Standing Committee of Sydney, of which I'm also part, so wholeheartedly endorsed, yeah. which really was just a statement that was affirming traditional biblical marriage, defining that to be between a man and a woman. Um, and and so that was just, you know, all kinds of things happening in the background in the National Church. And consistently for a period of time, people have said, look, since the change in Australian secular marriage law um, coming out of a plebiscite, the General Senate has not had a chance to talk about this question. Yeah, I've been putting it off for a while and COVID hasn't COVID, helped. COVID, yeah. General Senate was put off twice mm. in, in the last couple of years because of COVID. Um, and and the national bishops, they kept saying, you know, the time to talk about this and different tribunals and different things said the time to talk about this is General Synod. So, so this was one of the things done. Now, other statements were also put in to do with, you know, affirming same-sex marriage. And so all of that was on the kind of, you know, agenda. And then, so the headlines that were grabbed, which are entirely correct... Uh, were that the statement seeking to affirm traditional and biblical marriage. Um, uh, it's a bit complicated, but basically there's three houses, so to speak, about 260 people at General Synod. There's a house of, of um, lay, laity, about 120 people, mm. another house of clergy, about 120 people, and then there's a house of bishops, about 20 people, broadly yeah. speaking. So somewhat analogous to you know, our parliaments have the House of Representatives and the Senate. You have two different bodies that both need to pass. We had three. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Three is better than two or, or something. something like or, that. I don't know, yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> the way this particular one worked was the House of Laity, you know, voted yes, we want to affirm that. The House of Clergy voted yes, we want to affirm that. As in, yes, we want to affirm biblical marriage. Biblical, traditional marriage yeah. between male and female. Um, and so then it came to the House of Bishops. And, and I just... This is a personal kind of, you know, as someone who was in the room at this momentous moment in many ways, the media is correct. 
Um, and the House of Bishops voted 12-10 against. Mm. So in a sense, it was a veto. Um, and I just thought, I just was really sad. You know, mm. at that moment, it was about, it was about 12 o'clock on the Wednesday of General Synod. There were tears in the room. There was like, and it was, you know, hang on, aren't the bishops, people, in, aren't they the ones entrusted to, you know, hold to faithful and biblical doctrine? Mm. Um, but what's going on here? They're the ones that have voted to veto that affirmation. Yeah. Now, so they're the headlines. Mm. Um, it is worth saying, a few people have talked to me, it's been really helpful from a distance, that there are nuances with some of this. Um, and, and that is, it was, it was um, a statement, if you like, seeking affirmation. That it didn't get through is not affirming the opposite. Yeah, because there's also a statement affirming the opposite. Other people put in a statement affirming yeah. same-sex marriage, which, which was, was also re- not affirmed. Which was, well, which was resoundingly defeated. Yeah. So, um, um, so, look, the majority of the Synod wanted to affirm it. It mm. was a veto in the House of Bishops. Yeah. Um, and so that will, at a national level, that will just kick up these discussions. You know, where, where do we stand? Um, the underlying issue, of course is about the authority of God's word yeah, um, and so on. But, Jack, there's a whole lot of stuff that was not sensational so was not reported. Mm. And I just think it, that provides perspective, which may just be helpful to make a comment on. And that is, over the years, now I'm, I don't like to characterise it as kind of, you know, evangelical conservative, Bible-believing, and liberal, you know, driven by the world. But if you just bear with my simplistic terminology for the moment, because it's it's far more complicated. Um, Over the years, this is my third General Synod, um, and over the years, there's been a shift that's been going on. And... It used to be the case, my first general synod, I was in small groups with prominent figures at the time of people who just, I just went there to understand how people think. Yeah. And just this framework of love that I alluded to before, it really was quite, you know, pervasive. And it was, what well, I think it was the predominant view of mm. the general synod at that time. But what's been happening over time, um, Bible-believing Christians... You know, like some people at St Paul's, we have the gospel, and we have we have in our you know we're captivated by Jesus as our saving Lord, and therefore mm. we boldly reach all people with the life saving gospel locally and globally. Like yeah. we have that as our agenda mm. uh, because of the Bible, because of the priorities of the Bible. People who are coming from a liberal mindset don't have that as their agenda. Yeah, and so what's happening around the place is, and it may be too much to say that evangelicals, Bible-believing people are growing in number, but it is certainly true to say that those in the liberal kind of methodology are shrinking in number. Mm. And what that means, relatively speaking, is that Bible-believing Christians, the way it works is, broadly, it's a there's like a census date, and you look at the number of clergy in different places, that determines the numbers of representation on General Synod. Mm. So because the liberal churches are in decline, that is shifting the numbers. Right, they have less representatives. They have less representatives. They're getting smaller, Mm. just just overall, 
um, like in percentage terms. Mm. So that actually means I I am just delighted that the statement passed the House of Lady in the House of Clergy. Mm. Um, there was another statement also about chastity, actually, but you know, it's hard to believe as it is. Um, the Bible just seems so clear, but another expression of liberal theology in Australian Anglican churches um, has been, in some places, a softening of definition of definition of chastity. Yeah. Okay. Um, which I would like to think is just absurd to even think about. Yeah. So we're talking here about um, places that may be willing to affirm, oh, it's okay for people in ministry to have sex outside of marriage. And that exactly. Yeah. 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 Mm. So that's exactly, and so some people in some places do not affirm that anymore. Yeah. Um, now that in part is connected with you know living in same-sex relationships, mm. active and, but but also other things. Yeah. Um, anyway, so there was another statement of its nature. That one did just pass. So chastity was affirmed. That was affirmed. And mm. within that, there was an affirmation of a definition of what marriage is. Okay. You know, between a man and a woman. So right. it, it's all a bit complicated. But what I'm saying is, overall, there's this theological shift that's in play in the mm. Australian National Church. Yeah. And that just kept coming out at several points. Yeah. Um, um, and I could go on for those who are interested, but I might not do that here. So actually, yeah, just to confirm, you're saying there's this shift towards a more evangelical, biblical Correct. weight numbers, which yeah. is not because evangelicalism is growing necessarily, but because liberalism is shrinking. Yeah. yeah. So proportionally. Yeah. yeah. And, and mm. that's exactly what... So that's the broad landscape. Yeah. If I can kind of pin, I guess, one more question, maybe to sort of wrap this up. Like maybe some of our people across church will be thinking, so Raj, you're telling us that even though a majority of people at the Synod wanted to affirm biblical marriage, a majority of the bishops who lead dioceses, Anglican dioceses across the country, were not willing to affirm this. What does that mean for us at St Paul? So we as an Anglican church within the Diocese of Sydney, which is connected to the National Church, like, yeah. is this, what is this going to mean for Sydney? Like, has this changed how we at St Paul's operate or what we believe? Thanks, Jack. Great question. The short answer is no, it hasn't. The way um, Anglican churches in Australia set up is very much diocese by diocese mm. um, and um, our theology around marriage does not change has not changed um, will not change um, at least you know while I'm in the position I, I am and so you know no change in that regard mm. I think what is helpful for us to be aware of just think if, if you are a in a church or a minister of a of a bible believing church but you have a liberal bishop mm. that is a complicated place to be yeah so there is a discussion and and some of you have heard of gafcon and there's an australian conference coming up in august um, this is a live issue in new zealand and many parts of the world um, and how is it we, people like at St Paul's, can support congregations and ministers who find themselves in denominations led by liberal bishops? Mm. I think that's the kind of question that's opening. That's a complicated to get into. We, yeah. won't, we won't do it here. But I want to encourage people to pray. Mm. Um, I've gone to a couple of the GAFCON conferences now, to two of them, and I met people from around the world... Um, who have been kicked out of their property by liberal bishops 
who have shifted in this area mm. and they want to uphold the Bible. Yeah, they want to, you know, in their own language, they want to be captivated by Jesus as their saving Lord and boldly reach people everywhere. Mm. Um, and and it's quite aggressive in some places. Yeah, been taken to court. Some people said to me they weren't up for the fight. They just said, "Here you go, we're going to the school or where they could." Mm. So those issues are really li- live issues in our country. Yeah, and I think that's more the area. It's not going to change our teaching it's not changing our commitment to the bible in fact if anything uh, you know i think it's going to affirm it and just mm. the opportunity for me to be there as i preach down the track i'm just going to bring some of this stuff in to warn us yeah and help us understand the, how tantalizing it is and how close it is mm. um, and also how dangerous it, how dangerous it is yeah yeah no, that's helpful helpful snapshot there and i'm sure there's lots more you could say but i think that's been a really helpful summary. And for you who've been asking questions, we hope that is a helpful insight into what happened at General Synod and, and why it matters. So thank yeah. you for that. Pleasure. We will shift gears and get to the questions that people have texted in. And a bit of a lighthearted one to, you know, move us on and, and into this next section. Someone texted in, Raj, is that an iceberg or a plastic bag? <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you know what that person's referring to. <laughs> well, I, I do indeed. And look, I would like to say, Jack, occasionally I just put slides in just to see who notices and who watches closely and things like that. Sure. I, I did show a picture of an iceberg um, and, and well, that was my intent, but the one I selected was actually a picture of a plastic bag um, at 9.15. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm yeah. thankful for the four people who noticed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I mean, if I, I feel, you know, for you, when you're looking at the picture on your computer screen, a small little screen, when it's suddenly blown up on the massive projector screen for everyone in the room to see, maybe at that point it comes into you're very sharper kind, relief. Yeah. You're very kind. <laughs> um, look, I'm going with, I just, it's it's good to watch closely and yeah, right. <laughs> pay attention. I did yeah. change it for afternoon church and night church. Yeah, very good. There we go. All right. More seriously, let's get into Mark 2. So this is the story. The paralyzed man, the friends bring him to Jesus, lower him through the roof. Someone texted in, in verse 5, it says Jesus saw their faith before he speaks to the paralyzed man. It says your sins are forgiven. question is, is the faith just the faith of the four friends, or is it the man and the friends? And if it's just the four friends, is it possible that the man, the paralyzed man, was profoundly disabled in a way so that he couldn't express his own faith? Yeah, thank you for this question. Um, it's a great question, and... The way I read it, it is it is at least the faith of the four friends, mm. and it may well be also the man. I think you know the text is a bit silent on that, so yeah. it's it's possible that the man was profoundly disabled in a way that he couldn't express his own faith. Um, but at the same time, that's not a necessary conclusion mm. from what we're told. So it kind of goes a bit from silence. Yeah. Um, but isn't it interesting that that Jesus does talk about their faith? plural mm. and so at, le- at the very least the four friends are included yeah and so their faith in bringing him to jesus really had a part to play yeah in, you know him having his sins forgiven i think that's just incredibly powerful we in our individualistic you know western culture these days mm. i don't think we make the strong connection like like we see here of the impact of the, the collective impact of of people's faith on others coming to know Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, mm. so, yeah, I, it, it's a great observation. Yeah, it is, yeah. I think it would be possible to read too much into that as well. Like, I think with the Gospels, like, not every episode is meant to give us this full 
well-rounded theology of faith and repentance and salvation, how that all fits together. Like, yeah. if anything, what this passage focuses on is Jesus' authority. Yeah. Um, but I think everything said is right and helpful. Yeah, the text doesn't say heaps. But, yeah, I'd encourage not to read too much into that, perhaps, that's not there, and see what the text is saying, which is yeah. to his authority. Yeah. All right, next question. Coming down to verse 8. Uh, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what the Pharisees were, the teachers of the law were thinking, you know. He's blaspheming. Um, question... In his spirit, what does that mean, verse 8? Is that referring to the Holy Spirit, or is it simply Jesus' mind and knowledge? Yeah, that's a good question. Look, the way I read this in, in this context is not necessarily the Holy Spirit, although it could be. But, you know, he knew in himself. might be mm. an expression we don't walk around saying, well, some people do, I know in my spirit. Mm. But, you know, in myself, his intuition is read of a situation is is how I read read it in this particular case Um, now the word Holy Spirit the term is really just the term spirit the word holy is inserted and that's what translators do depending on the context Mm. if it's clear it's you know a reference to the Holy Spirit they insert the word holy to try to make that clearer but it really is a translation judgment um, which they haven't done here and I think I I think I like that they haven't done it here. Mm. Yeah. Do you have thoughts, Jack? Oh, I think I'd agree. Yeah, I think that at this point, you have this picture of Jesus in his his full humanity. You know, we have body and soul slash spirit as human beings. Jesus is a full human with both those things too. So I think that you have a picture of the teachers thinking in their hearts and Jesus thinking in his spirit. There's a, there's a <coughs> parallel there I think he's talking about. Yeah, his, his own human faculties of observation and thought, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm on board. Another question about verse 8, well, more a comment. Someone's texted in, uh, one of the strange things in this story is that no one seems amazed that Jesus knows what the Pharisees are thinking without them saying it. Do you care to comment on that? Yeah, I think I want to come back to something you just said a moment ago, Jack, which mm. was we, we do need to be careful not to read too much in from silence. Mm. Um, sorry, you weren't even saying from silence, but just... You know, here is a very short story that's put together for impacts. Mm. And the point, so verse 12, he got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God. Um, I think it's the whole thing that amazed everyone. Yeah. You know, and, and I just want to be careful. I mean, certainly the man getting up, picking up his mat, you know, paralysed man walking. Mm. Kind of a clincher. Yeah. But... I would have thought it's it's the whole sequence of events leading up to that, including um, that Jesus knew what the Pharisees were thinking without them saying it. Yeah. Yeah, and um, it, it's kind of like, you know, if something was to happen out the window now, Jack, and there's a series of things that happen, and we were just to pick up on one of those things, that doesn't mean the other ones are not necessarily... Yeah, right. Also striking. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The Gospels are compressed narratives and I'm making every point. Yeah. I mean, at this point, I also sometimes wonder, I don't think the text is necessarily clear that Jesus does have this supernatural knowledge going on. Like, I think that probably is the plainer reading of the text, but could it not be that, you know, Jesus tells the man, your sins are forgiven, and the teachers of the law are sitting there with scowls on their faces and... Jesus knows what they would be thinking. Like, he, you know, he knows their worldview. He knows that they have this fierce zeal for God. He's the one who forgives sins. Like, 
I think Jesus could probably guess what they were thinking. Yeah. I think the text does go a bit further than that. Like, I think there is something supernatural here, but I imagine for the people who were there, it probably wouldn't have been amazing necessarily that Jesus accused them of that kind of thought. Because yeah, if you knew well, what the Pharisees were like, that, like, that's probably what you'd expect, in a sense. And Thanks, Jack. And, and even today, we have that experience all the time. Mm. You know, we're sitting somewhere and someone has a reaction. You can tell from their facial expression or body language or whatever. Yeah. You know, what's going on. And nine times out of ten, you, you're probably right. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus probably has a little extra boost as a little the son of boost. God incarnate. But, um, yeah, yeah, again, like, I think the bigger point is, again, the narratives don't tell you all the details, so sometimes you just can't know for sure. Yeah. All right, coming on to another question. Someone's asked, was Jesus' sole priority to preach? This is the point you made, Raj. Uh, was his sole priority to preach... When the parallel account of the story in Luke 5 includes the little line, uh, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. That's Luke 5, 17. So in the Lucan narrative, you seem to have this mention that his power is you know, oriented towards healing the sick. But you made the point it was priorities preaching. Yeah, how do we reconcile that together? Yeah, well, look, we can we can both talk about this one, Jack, as we you know, were off air before we kind of came on. Sure. And... Um, I think I just want to say to people, please don't hear me saying that Jesus was not concerned for the physical healing. He clearly was, mm. both in Mark 2 and elsewhere, yeah. many places. Um, and yet, at the same time, his priority was to preach. Mm. And he did want people to know the kingdom of God and, you know... Um, I haven't. You were looking at Luke five before, actually. Yeah, that's Jack. right. Yeah, so I think. I mean, this person asks the question rightly that you know, Luke five seventeen. Jesus is sitting around teaching. Pharisees are there, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick, which is why the people bring the paralyzed man to him. So, you do have that mentioned there. Um, I don't think that necessarily tells you that Jesus's priority was healing the sick at that point. Uh, Particularly because Luke also, like Mark, includes this little line a little before this episode. So you back up to the end of chapter 4 of Luke. And Jesus is, you know, he is healing people. People are bringing the sick. And then there's a point where Jesus says, Luke 4 verse 43, uh, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. And you have that line in, in Mark and, and Luke, I think Matthew as well. And that gives you a little bit of a summary of Jesus' ministry in Galilee. Like Jesus going around to the different towns of Galilee. Yes, wherever he goes, people bring the sick. Like, yes, they bring the demon-possessed and Jesus casts them out. So, of course, Jesus is there doing these profound miracles of healing and, and exorcism and all those things. But on Jesus' own lips, you have that his priority is teaching. It's not to say that he doesn't heal, but there's this urgent priority on what Jesus has come to do, which is announced that the kingdom of God has come near. And the miracles that he does, they they affirm that they're the signs that kind of accompany Jesus' word and they uh, show you that there's, you know, God is with him. Uh, these miracles testify that the word he speaks is true. Um, so yeah, don't hear us say that he doesn't do miracles. Of course he does. But um, even the healing and the casting out demons he does do, I think is meant to point you to the fact that Jesus is the one who's come to announce the kingdom. And it... If I could just add to that, Jack, I mean, that's that's exactly right. And I just want to underline all of what you said. And in particular, just Jesus clearly has compassion mm. and clearly mm. heals. Um, and if we just pick up on Luke just for a few more minutes. So you provided some context 
Um, and, and again in Luke 5, so we pick up on verse 17, um, the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick in verse 17. And the story goes on. It's a parallel passage for Mark chapter 2. Mm. And it goes on in exactly the same way, but we are talking about it on Sunday. Yeah. That is, Jesus is looking to channel the energy and desire that people have for healing into helping them understand that their sins can be forgiven. Yeah. Um, and then the next story in Luke 5 goes on. So verse 27 uh, is the account where Jesus calls um, uh, Levi, follow me. And then it goes on, and in fact, I, I use I think I use these words that Jesus talks about. So verse 31, it is not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Yeah. So he's picking up on those things we can associate with a physical um, um, illness mm. and trying to channel that deal with that as well yeah we need to say that and you know ultimately for us that happens with new resurrection bodies mm. and i you know COVID a few weeks back we're talking about before i could resonate <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah but here it's it, verse 31 it is not the healthy you need a doctor but the sick he's not talking about he's using it as a metaphor yeah to help us understand our real deep below the surface iceberg, not plastic bag, need. <laughs> yeah, yeah, helpful. Maybe one way to write it out. I mean, in the question, I mean, this person asked, um, was Jesus' sole priority to preach? And I think that, that kind of maybe helps to eliminate the issue as well. Like, it's not that Jesus' sole priority was preaching because he did other things too. He did healing as well. But I think one of the things we sometimes think is the thing that you have as a priority, that means everything else doesn't matter. Like, we can have a very binary view of, well, if preaching is important, then that means Jesus doesn't care at all about healing. And, like, that's just not the way the Bible puts it together. Like, yeah, as you said, Raj, Jesus is there showing compassion and all that's pointing to the chief priority. Not to say other things aren't important, but the thing that's most important is uh, the forgiveness of sins that we might have life, not just for the rest of this age, you know, if we get healed, we'll, we'll still die one day, but the true spiritual healing that Jesus is bringing is going to have life forever. Yeah. Along with it. Yeah. yeah. I hope that helps. One last question to round us home today. Uh, Raj, you use the language of starting over as you yeah. kind of called us to respond to this word. Now, some of us text in some ways a very simple question and some ways a profound one. What does start over mean? Yeah, thank you. Um, I'm sorry not for not making that clearer. I think I was just, well, I was just trying to pick up on common language that people sometimes have of, like take the paralysed man. He came to Jesus to start over, mm. to have a new chapter, to start afresh, you know, to draw a line and say, enough of the past, I want to start something new. Yeah. And in Mark 2, uh, that's exactly what happened. And the decisive point was Jesus, who didn't just heal him, but forgave him. Mm. Um, and so that's the concept I'm trying to pick up on and just say, for every single one of us, um, um, we have that opportunity to start over, to have a new chapter, to start afresh, to draw a line, whatever language you might, you mm. know, care. And, and, in the context of Baptism Sunday. Yeah. You know, we're the symbol of people being washed, going under, being cleansed, and coming up and starting afresh. Yeah, living this new cleansed, life. Yeah. Living a new life. Mm. Yeah. So, and I just want to say to people listening in, you know, I, I've, I've talked to people over the years, sometimes been at church for decades and decades and get decades, and they get to a point where they realise this is them, mm. and other people... Uh, Maybe just tuning in for the first time. Maybe 
you've, you've stumbled on this podcast, you've tuned into online, you know, one of our services online, and here you are. Um, and maybe God's just speaking to you now by His Spirit, just now's the time to start over with Jesus. And I just want to say, please do something about it. Yeah, that's right. If you were here one thing today, that's the most important thing of all. That's the thing that Jesus is calling us to. That's what we employ you to as well. Yeah. Thank you. That is the end of our questions for today. As we head towards this coming Sunday, we are jumping back into the Book of Romans again. And I've, I've received the captain's call up to be one of our preachers this Sunday as well. So our, our dear brother Rod is still battling through COVID. So I'm stepping in to preach on Romans 14 and 15, which is going to be an exciting time. We're coming into this little season, I guess, of a sense of, of wrestling with this passage and its implications Romans 14 is the call for uh, the strong and the weak within the church to bear with one another, for people who disagree about these profound issues of Christian life and practice, uh, not to judge each other, not to show contempt, but to work together for what is going to be building up for for one another. Um, I think a really crucial passage for the the time we're in. I mean, everything you said about general synod, we're in this world where people who claim the name of Jesus don't disagree. You know, what do we do with that? Even with our own church, we don't agree on everything. You know, in a world where disagreement normally means I hate you and I never want to see you again. How are we as the Christians going to uh, respond to this call to love even those that we don't see eye to eye with on everything? So, got that coming up on Sunday. We're doing a stretch night for growth groups, uh, digging even further into it next week. So, looking forward to that. Uh, we'll see you on Sunday. God bless. God bless everyone. Thank you. Thank you.